Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Today's episode is sponsored by Try Vegan, a meal delivery plan that is 100% heart-healthy, plant-based, made without gluten, oils, or refined sugar. All customers receive eight meals and two sides for only $100 plus $9.99 shipping. They offer an exciting new menu each week that are shipped out on Mondays. Based in New Jersey, Try Vegan delivers north to Vermont, south to Maryland, west to Pennsylvania, includes all major cities such as New York and Philly. There's no contractor commitment. And you all, my audience, can save 25% off your first order. Promo code capital L, capital Y, capital T, capital Y, yoga. That's lit yoga. Website is tryveganmealprep.com. Vince is a friend of mine. He is an amazing human being. And I have this myself. This saves me time and energy. And I get these delicious, delicious homemade meals delivered right to my doorstep. So try vegan yourself. Good movement and welcome to Redefining Yoga, a lit yoga podcast, which is designed to investigate all aspects of the modern evolution of yoga from my background as a physical therapist and lover of movement. My mission is to help everyone find freedom through safer and smarter movement patterns so together we can be uplifted, benefiting all beings. Today is Friday with friends and I have a new friend, Kristen McGee. Kristen is a world-renowned yoga instructor on Peloton. Yes, Peloton, that badass place to be. (laughs) Kristen has been a yoga instructor for decades, like myself, and she was riding the wave of kind of the modern yoga movement. And I'll let her talk more about that. She's also a mom of three, including twins, and offers pre and postnatal yoga. Without further ado, welcome, Kristen. Thank you so much for having me here. I feel like we're going to be instant friends as well. Like we know each other from social media, but now just even having a few minutes to speak with you in person, I'm like, oh, I want to go hang out with you. (laughs) I I totally agree. We were talking and I had found out for the first time you were originally an actress. And I was saying my husband was also originally an actor. And so talk us through a little bit about that. You moved from Idaho. I moved from Idaho in the early nineties to go to NYU acting school. And it was there that I discovered yoga. I had a, there was a girl in my uh, acting program a year ahead of me who was teaching or in a teacher training at Jiva Mukti. And she would come and lead yoga warm up and before we would get into our acting classes. And I feel like it's just, they're so related in the fact that they are so intimate and immediate and you have to be super present as a theater actor and also as a yogi, or that's what we're constantly striving for. And I fell in love with the yoga practice. So when I graduated, I certified to teach to support my acting career. So I wouldn't have to be bartending and waiting tables. 
And that was in 1997 with Cindy Lee at Om Yoga. I was going to certify with Jiva Mukti, but they had just at the time, it felt a little too, how could I say this? It's almost like they're at the Catholicism of yoga. Like they have a lot of- It's a cultish a little bit. Yeah, 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 yeah. I love them. So I can say that too, but you're right. It um, It's really going to channel you into a very direct uh, uh, method, which if that's, if that, but I can see in a first time training that you would probably want, um, sometimes people want a bigger kind of uh, point of view. Yes, 100%. And I love them as well. I think Sharon and David shaped so much of my practice and still what I teach and how I teach. And, but I also find that Cindy was, uh, at the time she had a much uh, broader point of view and it also gave me two points of view as well, because the Jiva Mukti background is steeped in Hinduism and Cindy comes from a Buddhist background. And so her husband at the time, David Nickturn was leading us in meditation and it gave me a a different, just, it, it just opened up my perspective. And I have continued to train with so many different styles of teachers because I think that's very important. And to then develop your own home practice and have your own practice ongoing as well, but to like my my most recent teacher is Naveen Mishan at Katona Yoga and she does a lot of pranayama and I absolutely love that. And I just feel like throughout the years, I never want to be um, closed-minded to any form of yoga practice because I always think you can learn something from everyone. I definitely have my preferences. Like I'm not a Bikram person and I don't know if I ever will be, <laughs> but I do think it's just, it's been fascinating to watch how yoga has evolved and and exploded over the years. Yeah, we we started right around the same time. I was starting in the mid nineties as well, and at the time, um, I, outside of New York City, I don't think there was there was obviously a lot happening in New York, but nothing compared to how it is now. And then outside of New York, here in Princeton, there was not um, really much happening. So a lot of it I was learning by looking at books and then looking at tapes. You probably remember Brian Kest's favorite, um, famous like three tapes of power yoga and everybody's wearing white. And it was very, uh, you know, it's like bringing into this kind of Hollywood vibe. And, um, but it was fun. It was like, it, it kind in, in a way, those people really demystified it and made it more available to everybody. Like, yeah, this is like movement and it's cool and it's breath and we're, we're focused on, transitions, but there's not, um, it, it was really, I think more opening. It was like a pathway for, for more people to walk into that practice. Did you find that as well at this time period? I agree. And I was a lot of the, I got a gym membership at crunch. That was the big gym back in the day. And a lot of teachers who went on to open their studios were just teaching at the gyms. They were teaching yoga in the gyms because gyms were the popular places for people to go and as opposed to the yoga studios at the time, I know Jiva Mukti had its its scene and it was on Second Avenue and there was some, it was so cool to go to their studio, but it was one of the few in New York City at the time. And Sharon was teaching at Crunch and David was teaching at Crunch and Cindy Lee and Dana Fugin. Dana went to open um, Laughing Lotus and Nikki Costello was there. She was my original teacher. She's a fabulous Iyengar teacher now. And she does a lot with Kula Yoga. Um, but just all of these teachers were teaching at the gyms back then. And then they went on to open their yoga studios. And I found that I think 
like Brian, I remember taking his class in Santa Monica. There was a line around the block. And when you got in, it was kind of donation-based. You just put a $20 bill in a bowl and he would walk around the room and he was shirtless. And he was so like, it was just so fun. It was so cool. But I do think that it's funny. I feel like my path, when I was asked to teach the MTV yoga video or choreograph the first MTV yoga video, I happened to be teaching at a crunch and it was right near the Viacom MTV studios and the producer was in my class and said, oh, do you have a headshot on you? And I happened to because I was on the acting path. And I was so excited, like you were saying, to actually maybe like not stray from the the true principles of yoga, but to also demystify it enough so that people could realize just how amazing the practice is and people would enter it however they could enter it and then start to form a deeper relationship with it if they wanted to or a deeper relationship with themselves. So I, I feel like it's it's really interesting to see like now with Peloton, how we get a lot of the cycling and runners come come over to take the yoga classes almost as a means of cross-training or maybe some physical therapy. And then they start to discover like yoga is so much more. And they've people have emailed me even and said like, this has changed my life. I am now practicing daily and I don't know why I wasn't doing yoga sooner. <laughs> it, it's amazing. That's so cool. And I, and I think that um, a lot of people walk into it without the expectation of of, of this transformation that they don't yet really understand fully. You know, do they just think of it? I mean, I did too. I was like when I... It was a runner. It was actually the New York Road Runners Club that offered power yoga, and yes, Beryl Vinner Birch. Yes, I love her. Yes, and so I was like, oh, I I should probably. It was 1995. I mean, I was like, oh, I should probably go and stretch. You know, like this is great for the running. And then I went and was like, this is hard. This is amazing. Like I loved it. Just one time, that was it. I never went back for with her, but she was the one that introduced it to the um, the New York Road Runners Club. And that's what like got me hooked. And I don't live in New York. So I was like, what am I going to do? Like, I loved this. And that's when I went out and was getting like the VHS tapes and stuff. I, but I think that it, and I see that for Peloton, I, I just think this is, it's such a brilliant, you know, Peloton is like its own religion and uh, we have a Peloton, you know, but then I will say my husband, I just have to give him a shout out. He's vegan daddy on there. So you should check it out. because Oh my gosh. I think I may have even ridden or have taking a a cycling class with him. I'm sure because he's like the, he literally is in the Peloton. He's like in the top. Always in the top. Yeah. He's like one or 2%. I'm like, honey, you need to make money off of this. Like you are, it's ridiculous. Like he's got this hidden talent. Um, I mean, he's just, he loves it. And, uh, but anyway, check out Vegan Daddy on Peloton. I have to, because I have to give him a shout out because he, he, he just went through and I think he did it like a 50 day streak. And um, he's actually going up to the Berkshires today for like a little R and R, we're going to be doing some work up there for a house. But so he was is like, oh my gosh, my day, you know, I'm going to break my streak. But yeah. Anyway, so Peloton is amazing. I love how they branched out and are now offering um, yoga. And how did you get involved with them? And I'm really excited that they. Well, it's funny because I I had done a C9 campaign with Robin before. What does C9 stand for? I'm C9 sorry. stood for Champion. It was Champions brand at. Uh, Target. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of like the the ch- cheaper version of the Champion line. It was called right. C9 and it was for Target. And Robin and I was a ambassador just for a brief moment. And I think this might have been right when she was really starting off with Peloton. And so we had stayed 
in contact with each other. And I reached out to her finally and said, is Peloton going to offer yoga? I think it'd be awesome. I'd see, well, I, I saw Colleen Seidman was already doing some yoga. So I was curious to see if she was going to, if they were going to do more or expand the program. And at the time she said, no, I don't think so. A month later, she messaged me back and she said, yes, we are. Can you come in and audition? So they set up the audition process for me and it was intense. And I was a little nervous because I, it's so funny, the trajectory as well of my yoga path. Because when I first started teaching, I remember I was making mixed tapes. Like I literally had cassette tapes. Um, and then it was CDs after that, but I would, I was really into music and I would always had a playlist and the cool playlist. And I was into the choreography and just kind of making up fun flows. And then I got to this point in my teaching where I was like, it's so much about the breath and I don't want music distracting people. I want them to be with their breath and I want them to be with the distractions because that's the point of yoga is can you come back to yourself and to your mat and to the moment just, you know, with whatever your mind is saying to you. So I I had been teaching for maybe 10 years straight without any music. And when I went to audition for Peloton, music is such a big part of their platform. They were like, put a, put together a Spotify playlist, break, you know, so I was like, Oh man, I've got to like, and I love music, but I just hadn't been practicing with music in my or teaching. So I put together some fun playlists. I went in and I auditioned. They brought me back to do a beginner class just to see if I could teach the beginner audience as well. They hired me. I was thrilled. I couldn't believe it. And I was thinking I wanted to ask you this because I love later we, um, I reached out to a colleague of mine, Ross Rayburn, who's now the master yoga instructor because he has a PT background and I love to take his classes and I love to learn from him. And I love to watch your tutorials on Instagram because I think there is something so um, smart about his sequencing and your your information and the knowledge that you bring. And what I started to learn after having my twins and developing diastasis, how important just knowing anatomy and physiology and movement patterns and how yoga is great because it does connect you through your breath to your mind with your mind and your body. But sometimes there's a missing piece of the... Um, people still are getting injured often through yoga, like through anything else where there's repetitive movement. Yeah. 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 And that's what I I talk a lot about that in my trainings. I say, you know, there's different types of intelligence. One is somatic and we want to believe that our body somatically um, is intelligent, which it is. However, um, life happens and we we adapt to our life. So it could be that we adapt to sitting at a desk and we're rounded for it or we adapt to, you know, even like I'm working with Olympian rowers and they are super badass women, but they have tons of imbalances because of what they're doing repetitively has created imbalances. And so everybody, whether you're sitting at a desk or doing one thing over and over again, runners and bikers, um, develop imbalances. And then the wisdom, the somatic wisdom of our body it's like it's dulled a little bit. You know, it's like we're wearing kind of earmuffs and we can't quite hear it as well because we adapt to what we can do, kind of path of least resistance. So you need to layer the, um, it doesn't have to be academic intelligence, but the intelligence of understanding that the neuromuscular intelligence, like the things that happen and how we kind of just need to be aware of how we compensate in. And so 
there's a lot of stuff to that, but I think that's where having an understanding of the body, you don't have to, I always say, you don't have to be a PT. I mean, my teacher trainings are really comprehensive and robust. People come out and people like at my studio, I have a studio and everybody's trained by me. Often people will think everybody there is a physical therapist. And, um, you know, there is one other physical therapist, but the other ones aren't, but they, the, we learn so much about uh, the body and, and, in, and we apply it. So it's not just like, this is a muscle, this is a muscle. It's like, what are the muscles that tend to be weakened because of our, the way, you know, once we get off of our hands and we're not crawling around anymore in life, uh, what happens, you know, and, and, and um, how can we facilitate better connections from brain to those scapular muscles, for example. So it is really important, and but you also don't have to go to PT school. A lot of people are inspired to go to PT school, but you don't have to, but you should know because our bodies are wise to a point, but we become we, we kind of dumb them down of once we go to school, really. Once you hit six or seven years old, you're going and you're sitting a long time, you're restraining, you're, you're restricting your movement patterns, and then your body you know, adjust to that. So I love that you're interested in learning all about that. And it is so fascinating. Like you said, once you start school, my son is six years old and my twins are three and a half. And you can see the subtle differences from Timothy already having been in school for three years. He's, he did a pre-K and then kindergarten and now he's in first grade. The twins have yet to do anything because like, A, I couldn't afford any sort of private preschool for them. And B, I was like, they have each other and they have an older brother. Do I really need to put them in preschool? They're, they listen to their bodies. They, they move organically. They'll act like my son, my, one of my uh, sons this morning asked me for some carrots with hummus for breakfast. And a lot of times as an adult, I don't know, we, we build up these ideas like, oh, I can't eat carrots and hummus for breakfast. Like, why not? <laughs> right. Oh, totally. Why do we have to, cereal is this like this concocted idea. It's an Americanized thing. Like, well, you know, yeah, it totally is. As kids stop, adults, we stop listening to our internal hunger cues. We stop listening to a lot of those just natural reflexes of even, I just noticed them being at home now for these this quarantine has been the only silver lining has been that I get to spend all these precious moments with them and discover little things about them that I often would have missed when I was away working so much. And they, just the way they move organically or they mimic me or they're constantly like, they'll get up and like, is this down dog mom? Or can I do, it's just interesting. It's so neat to see. It is. And, and, and sometimes you'll have to take one of my classes and then you can really dissect, like there's a blueprint to it. And it really is and you'll enjoy it as a, as a mom, especially of younger kids, because it's based on the developmental patterns. Because the idea is that uh, my specialization in physical therapy was neurodevelopmental training, and it was understanding how we can always. The brain used to we used to think of it as being rigid and not, you know, they used to think at, at, at age seven, like a little bit older than your son, like pretty much you learned everything, and after that, it's just going to kind of come in and leave, which is a, a, like a terrifying. <laughs> But, you know, they now realize, of course not. You, the, the, the brain has this plasticity that um, can adapt and change throughout life. Now, certain parts of it, like learning a language at my age versus at, you know, six years old is different. It's a lot easier because the brain is, is just really fresh and plastic versus I, it'll be like harder for me, but it's still doable. But the movement patterns that they learn at this age, like, 
from zero to two, they haven't, they didn't get a guidebook. Like you didn't tell them, okay, flip over, now get on your knees, now crawl, now come up on to half kneel, now come in balance. Um, that's hardwired. And so what we we can always go back to that. And that's why doing things on the ground is really, really um, important because it goes back into the hardwiring that has not been dulled by the compensatory strategies that we've developed and the imbalances that have happened with that. And so you could really appreciate it a lot. A lot of the things I did, I was doing with my um, very involved stroke patients. And then I'd come home and I'd be doing with my kids when they were that age. And I had this moment where I was like, why am I not doing more of this in my yoga practice? Because by that time I had been doing like vinyasa probably for about seven or eight years and was just feeling like it was kind of stale, like it wasn't changing. Um, And I wasn't really looking at it and deciphering it from my physical therapy standpoint. So it was right around there that I started employing some of these other ideas from my PT background. And my, my, that's when my yoga practice really took off because it really oh, got, yeah. are they just listed on you on your website? Yeah. On my website, they're on my lit. I have a app lit daily LYT Lars. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So Stop. we'll, yeah, we'll get, yeah. and I want to hear, okay. So I want to hear more about your specialization okay. in pre and po- postnatal, because I know there's so many mamas out there and you, you spoke about, you know, having the diastasis recti and, um, for anyone that doesn't know, we've talked about this in my other podcasts with other people, but yeah, when you're, when you've got twins in there, you're going to have some stretching. And then of course, uh, the tearing of the superficial fascia over the rectus abdominis. And when every, you know, once they're born and things kind of come back, uh, that area sometimes has a big gap because it's literally been, you know, kind of torn. Like it's like tearing fabric. It's been torn apart. How big was your gap and how did you deal with it? And did you have other, did you notice like with that, you had more back or sacrum issues, things like that? So it's Timothy was vaginal birth and he, I carried him a day past his due date. It was a very easy delivery. I went into labor around 3 a.m. and he was born at 8.53 the next morning. And I didn't have an epidural. They're almost like I wasn't planning on a total unmedicated birth or whatever, but I just remember at, by the time it was actually time, there wasn't really, you know, it just, I, I dilated so quickly and, um, it was amazing. It was so awesome. I, and I felt like the recovery wasn't too hard. I just, I listened to my body. I slowly eased back into what I'd been doing before and then I got pregnant with the twins, Robert and William. And being able to practice during my pregnancy was completely different. I didn't have as much energy and I wasn't as active as I would have liked to have been. I was still practicing all the way up until I gave birth to them as well. And we were hoping for a vaginal delivery. Robert was head down baby A and William was um, breech baby B. And what happened, I carried them much longer than anyone expected. They were, I was 39 and 39 weeks in a couple of days. And a lot of twins deliver around 34 to 36 weeks. So they were, Robert was seven pounds, one ounce, and William was six pounds, nine ounces at birth, which is crazy. But they, William's foot was fighting for the canal. So by the time we were going to deliver, my doctor, Dr. Calipari, he could feel he on the um, ultrasound, he could see the head, but he would feel an appendage. He would feel William's foot if he did a vaginal um, test. or So it was like, at that point, he was too nervous. He was like, I think we need to do a C-section. And 
I think C-sections in a, in are a whole nother thing. It's, it's so interesting the way I, doctors aren't as mindful even of like, how can we do this in a way? I, emergency C-sections are probably a whole nother thing, but how can we mindfully open a person up and close them back? Like I even read afterwards that a lot of times the practicing physician will start the stitches and then just hand it off to like the the resident, resident or whatever, just go off to the next patient. And they do either a shoddier job or they're not in the same. So like a lot of times your scar is, isn't uniform a lot. And that causes that pulling of the fascia in different ways, right? I've been having a little bit of like left hip issues after I had birth, gave birth to them. I didn't even realize or know much about diastasis until I was like, why do I have this massive pooch above my belly button? Mine was a higher diastasis. Mm. And so some women, I feel like they have, and it can be anywhere along the linea elba. It's like some women will complain about like that lower belly pooch. Others will talk, you know, the mummy tummy up above. So mine is a higher diastasis. I had a four finger spread at first and it was deep. It was pretty deep. Like you could stick your fingers down in there. And so the, I think it's good to measure not only the width, but also the depth. So I just started doing a ton of research um, and it gave me pelvic floor issues as well. I, I remember I love to run and there was a while there where I felt like I couldn't go on a run without leaking. And now like knock on wood, I'm a hundred percent. I've been running for like 45 minutes, an hour, and I'm great. I'm so excited. And I always thought my pelvic floor was strong and it is, but there's also that the imbalance between the hypertonic hypotonic, like for a while, I think I might've even been hypertonic before I gave birth to my first son, not really realizing it, that there's so much to be, there's a lot of about the relaxation as much as there is the engagement, just like with any muscle group. So if you walk around holding your bicep, like contracted the entire time, like some women do that with their pelvic floor and then it's hypertonic and it still doesn't have that same kind of reaction or, or ability to work properly. So hope I'm not rambling. So I, I discovered the diastasis. I started working on a lot of breath work. I, I learned some kind of crazy reverse breathing when I had the twins. And I think it's because I had so much that I would exhale and let my belly expand as opposed to uh, contract and relax softly. So I I was doing a little bit of reverse breathing for a while, which was interesting. Maybe it's just because I didn't have the space or the capacity to get fill up my lungs. I had to learn more to, to reconnect to my diaphragm, to my diaphragmatic breath, allowing the exhalation to mentally and physically feel the transversus re-engage. And I would constantly just do the same kind of like knitting of the ribs, I would often tie a TheraBand around my rib cage area. And on my exhale, gently pull the TheraBand on the TheraBand. So I could feel that idea of a cinching, of a narrowing to just train my transversus to really start to fire again and to support my core. But now I'm down to like a one finger. And I, at the depth, if you were to put your finger even there, there's, um, it's, like that's got some tension, some tautness, which is great, which means that the transverse is strong enough that even if there's that little bit of opening, it's right. not going to allow the organs to prolapse or or the anything like that to happen. So 
I do believe it's taken a long time. I mean, my twins are now three and a half years old and I have to be diligent about it. If I do really deep backbends sometimes, or if I do a certain thing, I, I'll notice that I need to go back to the breath work and back to the basics and back to all of those rehab exercises. I don't, I think it's going to be an, uh, a lifelong issue that I, it's never just going to be perfect. And I, I mean, I think even for women who opt for surgery, I, I, I know that for some women they need to, but I also feel that it takes away that component of like you were talking about earlier, the mind muscle connection that you might just be able to sew something back up, but you're not going to have that kind of sensation or that feeling of how to engage and how to properly connect with your TBA, which is so important in so many ways because it's is linked to the breath and the diaphragm and breath is life. And if you think about being stuck in that region or disconnected, it's almost like you're, I don't know, like you're missing a component of, of just daily life. It's like, I don't know how to explain it, but it's a, it's an odd sensation to not have any sensation for a while and to not be able to feel anything or to connect and then to learn how to reconnect those muscles. And so I feel like I always want to be there for women in a way that can help them. And I feel like every woman is so different and every case is so different. So it's tough when I can't be one-on-one with people, but to at least give them the tools that I used to get to the place where I'm at right now. And offering um, pre and postnatal yoga that is that kind of um, errors on the safe side, because I think in retrospect, I wouldn't have done upward facing dog with the twins. I wouldn't have done a lot of the extension type work that I was able to do with my first son, but he was only one and he was only seven pounds and I was younger and I was stronger and fitter. And you know, this is my second pregnancy and there were two and they were big. Um, so I think for women to just be very, very mindful and to be watching for when they feel that abdominal pressure, when they see any coning, any doming, it's like a little shark fin that they know that they're putting too much pressure. And it's not even pregnant women. I have male clients who have also shown the same pattern where I'll be doing Pilates with them, for instance, and they press out instead of draw in and up and feel that connection and wrapping of the transverse. And you have to go way back to basics so that they can find that connection and not actually put more pressure on the abdominal wall. Yeah, exactly. That's very, I see that a lot too. And it's that going to, you know, it's again, our habits, it's like going and executing something, but not necessarily doing it in the way that's going to be the best long-term, the most sustainable, the most integrative because if you you know if you do come up in in some kind of abdominal work and you're just doing that like shark fin I like that that pooch that pooching thing that is that's not you know you're using your superficial muscles but it's going to pull on your low back it's and it, it doesn't have the carryover the functional carryover that like what you were saying you want to feel like you are centered you're you're engaged you're held together and you have this like amazing um, coursing of energy through the body. And it happens through this, this is like, I call it the grand central station. I mean, this is like really where it needs. And if if you don't have, if you have that disconnect there or you're achieving it again through a much less efficient way, it isn't going to be long-term sustainable. And it is, it's a good point to mention that men can have it as well. Maybe they don't have the pulling apart of the tissue, like the the diastasis, but um, they definitely can 
can do the same movements. Now, I'm fascinated that you went to 39 weeks. You know, I, I don't, do you know I'm a triplet? No. <laughs> yes. So, uh, my brother, so my brothers are identical. So, so my mom, um, you know, this is back in the day where twins and triplets were, well, triplets were definitely not, you know, you just didn't see them because this was prior to any kind of fertility. So my brothers are identical. So they shared the same placenta and they were, even with that, they were each almost six pounds. And then I had my own placenta and I was like, you know, almost eight pounds. So my mom, and she went to about 36 and a half, almost 37 weeks. So she was really like way, way um, late as well. And she had us vaginally because we, I guess we were all able to come on down. Oh my God, she's amazing. Um, a rock star, right? And 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 she didn't have anything with her stomach except a big, she did have a big umbilical hernia because at some point it's like so much pressure out um, that the, the, you know, the umbilicus have nowhere to go, but um, straight through. So she had to have that repaired. But um, it is, it's, it is so fascinating what the, what the female body can create and can like, I don't want to say endure, but can kind of, you know, um, manifest, but in that manifestation, there is some real struggle. There's a real challenge. And that's like, you know, being taken into these different shapes and then, and then pulling it all back together is, is not a small feat. So I, I, I love what you said that it does, it does take a while and it will be um, something that you'll be more attuned to for, through your life. And I find that my, I loved my prenatal teacher training because she also spoke a lot about just pregnancy in general and the intervention of modern medicine and how a lot of these inductions and the introduction of Pitocin has actually increased the amount of C-sections that the fetal um, heart rate monitors, same thing, like the doctors go on alert the second they see any kind of change with that fetal heart rate. And again, it's, you know, it's a litigious society and we have to err on the side of safety. And you obviously, there are complications with birth and thank God for modern medicine, because a lot of women used to die during childbirth, but it allows you to have a little bit more of an insight and to take a little bit more kind of a proactive approach to your pregnancy so that you don't feel afraid a, of being pregnant, because I always say it, you know, you're not injured, you're not sick, you're doing what a, women have done all, the, all these you know, years, you're, you're pregnant and it's a beautiful thing. So I want, I, you know, I want to instill in women this feeling of safety and excitement and to be able to like just navigate the changes that's happening in their bodies with um, kind of with like grace and ease and, and less fear um, around the whole idea of, of pregnancy. So again, I, I, I do mention that there can be diastasis and that, that is something that can happen, but not to be that you have to now live your pregnancy in fear, you know, that it's still amazing to move. It's so healthy for uh, the baby, that for the fetus to get those endorphins that the mother gets and that positive energy and movement is just so good for everyone. And I think my kids, I'm happy that I was able to move throughout my pregnancy. And I think that it's interesting to, to know that just to know the procedures and the different um, outcomes and the different approaches. And maybe for you to say like, I'm going to advocate for this and I would like to have this kind of birth. And also know that when the time comes, it might be completely out of your hands that um, to not get too attached to the birth plan either, because Ultimately, you just want to have a safe pregnancy, a safe 
you know, a healthy baby and, and a safe delivery. But um, I think it's a little more empowering for women to have these tools and have a prenatal yoga practice or something that they can rely on to navigate not only the changes in their own body, but to also navigate kind of the the whole landscape because you can get really, you can be really informed. I wasn't as informed with Timothy and thank goodness I had a really great pregnancy, but after doing the the teacher training, I was like, oh, this is so awesome for women to just be a little more informed about like the different options and choices that they can have. And maybe sit down with your doctor and say, I would like it to be this way if possible. Like what can we do to, to make that happen? Right. And Are you talking about the teacher training, like the, um, for prenatal teacher training, did you do? Okay. That's her name. And she runs the prenatal yoga center on the Upper West Side. And she had us read a book called Spinning Babies and she a, a book about um, midwifery and how I think it might even be in the UK where there's a lot of midwives, more midwives than there are. It's not as common here. And again, I think the C-section rate is like way lower which is so interesting, right? It is, it is, right. Is it, and, and you're right, when the, we have, um, like I look at my mom who had triplets vaginally and now like that would never happen. Like they would just, it's just too, uh, and I, I understand like having a baby, having struggle with having a baby come out and be healthy and all that and, and, and be alive. But I also think that, you know, the mother has got to have the ultimate um, say. In, yes. in how it's how it's done, and um, I, yeah, I think having a midwife is like, which I, you know, that's what one of those jobs you're like. That would be so amazing. I'm sure there's a lot of pressure with it, but how, what a beautiful thing to be, um, be involved in the the journey of of a baby coming out of the womb. Like that just seems like an amazing profession. <laughs> and in France, I hear they have like this. They have like pelvic floor specialists. Like after every woman gives birth, they meet with the yes. pelvic floor specialist and they talk to them about. And again, I think in America, it's almost bypass. Like I don't know if anyone, they just, oh, come back for your, what, your two week checkup and then maybe a six week checkup. And it's nothing more than just like, oh, you know. And then they say, you make sure you're doing your Kegels. And it's like, yeah, Kegels is not in, like, Kegels is like such a small, like, little thing. It's, it's really such a small part of the puzzle. And I agree, it's this area that really, um, and and so many women would benefit. So how can, um, do you have online prenatal classes? So I I'll, I have a whole pre and postnatal library on the Peloton. Ah, well, there we go. Amazing. Free for 90 days. I don't know if it's still offering that, but the app itself, regardless, you can download it. Um, it's If it's not the free 90 day trial, it might be 30 day trial. And then you get, um, then it's like $10 after that. It's not not expensive at all. And it has, you don't need to have the hardware. You don't have to have a bike or a treadmill to access strength, yoga, um, stretching, foam rolling. You can still do the outdoor runs, the audio only content. I mean, you could even take the app and put it on a bike of your own and just do what I need you to do. But um, so it's good to know that that is a resource. And I have an old school prenatal DVD that I made when I was pregnant with Timothy. So that would have been seven years ago. And that's just on my website. And what is your website? Let's just put that out there. Kristen KristenMcGee.com. Awesome. Yep. Kristen with an I. And I think uh, like now there's just so much digital content. So at a certain point, I just need to get everything like digital and up on, you know, you can just, but 
with Peloton, the nicest thing about it is it's, um, and we'll get back into the studio and start filming soon enough. It's this ongoing library. So you always have access to fresh content and you can join my live class and I can see you virtually and say hello. And then all of that content goes on demand. So it's in the library. And that's the beauty of it is I can continue to keep developing the prenatal classes, the postnatal classes. I can continue to add more and more content to the library, which I'm very excited for. That's amazing. Well, I could talk to you forever, I, but let's just um, wrap up. I'd love to hear like, what are your, what kind of goals do you have for yourself for the next five to 10 years, professionally, personally? Do you want to go back to acting ever? Or do you, are you, are you like my husband and you just like, as long as you're doing something creative, you like, you, you know. I haven't even told this to really anyone, but I have secretly been writing a screenplay And yes, I want to see this screenplay come to life and I want to star in my own movie. Is that too ambitious? (laughs) Not at all. Not at all. That's amazing. That's my five-year plan. Like get this screenplay written, um, save up some money, get some investors. Uh, I have some friends in the industry. I have some screenwriter friends. I have some acting friends, uh, you know, and just producer friends and just be like, hey, they might read it and say, this is the worst thing I've ever read. Or they might be like, okay, yeah, let's do this, you know, or let's hone in on this and make it happen. So that is definitely a, like, that is like my lifelong goal in the near future to continue to build a really awesome platform and space for everyone to come and find me on Peloton to, uh, to continue that community. Because I do love the fact that not only can the cyclists and the runners and the strength trainers, everyone who entered Peloton through maybe the bike and access the yoga and the meditation, but to also open it up to all of the other people out there, all the yogis out there and, and people who might not have the means to buy the bike to know that they have a place as well for a community to, uh, and I can't wait to learn more from you and hopefully bring some of that knowledge into my teaching. So I can continue to expand my knowledge and continue to offer the best content that I can for people in a way that, you know, I, I'm ultimately teaching what I'm learning half the time. So um, I'm always trying to keep an open mind to everything and just learn and grow together as a community. I love that. That's the, um, that's like the epitome of the, you know, the ultimate teacher is someone who is always a student. And I also am um, always eager to learn more and try out new things. And I think that's probably why we both were, a little um, maybe rebellious at the beginning because we didn't want yoga to be um, contained in a box, but really to be available to everyone. And that whatever you came or whatever you wanted to get out of it, you could get out of it. And it didn't have to be necessarily like this spiritual practice. It might've been physical that we all know we're connected. It's not like you can, I always say you can't like put aside your spiritual material. It's in here, you know? So I think the yoga world used to really like to box those things. And um, I I think that it's always wonderful to meet another kind of rebel and being like, no, this should be available to everybody. And you don't have to, you know, do this, this, this to make it um, any more meaningful, but it should be whatever the person needs at that time. So, well, it was wonderful to chat with you. Thank you for taking the time. I wanted to ask you quick, how old are your children? My daughter is uh, 17. She'll be 18 this summer. And my son is just turned 15. Okay. So I am in, I have teenage years 
And so quarantine is different for me because I think, wow, um, I love that you said you're enjoying it and having fun because I always thought, gosh, the toddler, like I would say if you had three and two or one all together, like that would be a lot, I would think. But also fun. Like, I mean, I was home with my kids, so it wasn't really different except that, you know, now, you know, it was different because we could go to play dates and things like that. But as teenagers in quarantine, you know, they're just, they're so used to being able to do their own thing. And it's, they're also adaptable. This is what it's so fascinating. It's like, my daughter is a senior in high school. She's not going to have a senior graduation like we did. And, you know, I think a lot of the parents were like, oh, this is so sad. And she, and it is because we're just remembering our experience. And yet yeah. she's okay. Like, she's like, eh, okay, this is what happens. And, you know, they're just, they're so much more adaptable than we think. And I think that's just the message that we always should um, be receiving is that we need to stay adaptable too, that it isn't worse or better. It's just, you know, it's what we adapt and, and having a great um, outlook is really the bottom, the bottom line. And that's what my favorite yoga teacher, Naveen, always says that it's the, it's the speed of recovery. It's that bounce back. Exactly. The resiliency. Yeah. But it's the, uh, you know, health is, is the speed of recovery. You get sick, but how fast can you get better? Even mentally you get depressed, but how fast can you bring yourself out of that funk? And that's where I think yoga and meditation have been just game changers for me. So yeah, I love, I love seeing the adaptability in my kids. And it reminds me that that's a good lesson for us. It is a good lesson and we, we won't, we won't um, lose it. There are your kids now. Well, thank you so much for joining us and thanks everybody who's listening. Me too. All right. Bye. Hugs to everybody out there. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.